last night I um I was asking her all night, like, oh, do you want the TV? Do you want anything? Like, can I get you anything? And I'm just like, I'm just on the TV, you know, doing the switch, but totally offering her to take over. Like, no, stop asking me. So finally, she like, without saying a word, she goes up upstairs to bed. And I go up there. And she's, she's listening in now. So I got to be careful how I tread from here. But. I'm like, I'm like, are you going to bed? And she's like, she's like, yeah, because I wanted the downstairs and you wouldn't give it to me. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, I just wanted to be alone. Like, well, why didn't you say that? I'm like, you can have the downstairs alone. No, no. So when we're talking about Yennefer today, I think this is going to be like, you know, perfect example of, of a, uh, (laughs) of a good Yennefer. (laughs) <laughs> comparing your wife to Jennifer might not be a good idea I'm just thinking you might get a portal somewhere you want to appreciate <laughs> witchers, sorceresses and dopplers, this is couch co-op Today we're going to be talking about Witcher 3, which is my game of the year. But first, we're going to talk about the games we've been playing lately. Jack, would you like to lead us off? I've been, uh, well, actually, I rolled credits on uh, Tears of the Kingdom, the new Zelda game a few days ago. And uh, I got really into this game. Uh, Probably played more of this than anything, like, hours since probably, like, Elden Ring. Um, I played it for just over four weeks and I logged 110 hours. So I was going pretty tough on it. Definitely getting dirty looks from the wife and, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> um, just phenomenal game. Um, I don't know. I just, it is it, kind of funny because I got to this point where I knew I was like at the very end of the game. I was basically a hallway away from like the final fight, which ended up being about 45 minutes long, but um, I didn't want to do it. It was like the middle of the day. So I just kind of, I had like an hour to kill. So I just went off and instantly found four cool new things I hadn't done in the game before. I mean, this is over a hundred hours of gameplay and, and just on like a tangent, just finding a bunch of cool stuff. And I mean, as many hours as I put in, I, I mean, something we'll be talking a lot about today with The Witcher is just like the different ways we approach games. And I'm not a completionist by any means, especially with these Bahamas. And um, so Zelda, 10 10 out of 10 for me. That's that's where I'm going with this one. Um, But I probably, you know, covered half of what you could do in this game, less than half the side quests. Buy a house in this. I don't care about buying a house. I don't want to do any decorating, uh, but it's an option, and it just shows how huge that game is. You know, um, I mean, we'll be talking obviously about The Witcher Three, like you said today, Dave, and that's it. That's probably one of the few, one of the few uh, non-Japanese games that uh, are uh, that are smaller uh, or that are bigger than the uh, than this Zelda Tears of the Kingdom game I just played. But um, just really impressive and. Um, I don't know, from start to finish, uh, I had four weeks where I just 
was constantly doing fun things and, and new things, original um, ways of kind of navigating this world. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I've been playing Diablo four, which, you know, I think you guys had a pretty good laugh at when I announced that because just the day before I announced how uh, I thought Blizzard sucked and they were horrible, but I ended up <laughs> getting it because an old friend who I used to game with quite a bit um, and we haven't been able to touch base on games because he's gone super PC and I've gone hardcore console, but Diablo 4 is crossplay, and also we can meet up on Discord through PlayStation, so it's made it pretty convenient and that really looped me into buying the game and found out that our schedules are super misaligned right now. So <laughs> so you haven't played with him? Yeah. Yeah. Like one, one night the blizzard gets you. he like was playing down his level. So just, it wasn't, I didn't want to say a bad experience for him, but he definitely wasn't leveling up. Like I think he wanted to. So uh, anyways, it's fine. I'm enjoying the game. The campaign and the voice acting in it so far is pretty superb compared to the third one. The third one is very kind of like hop from one point, kind of touch base on a story point, do your run, and then go to another point. But this is a very wide open game. Like you can go to many different places on the board without having to be in a different part of the chapter to access it. And as well, uh, I think the animations are all very well done for an isometric top-down kind of like long-distance view with some small characters. There's a lot of expression on the characters moving their arms. You can even kind of see their heads going in certain directions based on what they're saying. So I think they did a really good job on the models. Uh, this game came out with an endgame system in place where the last, or at least the last one didn't, so... I think Blizzard really kind of took this one seriously and was like, after all the negative press we've been giving or been giving and getting, uh, we needed to bring out something that was a little bit stronger. So, so far Diablo 4 is pretty cool, um, but the game doesn't really start until level 50. So, and you're done with the story, which I'm still kind of grinding on. So, so unlike Dave's long lost pal who disappeared off into PC, universe i have jumped on diablo 4 with dave uh you know because dave owns it i get to play via uh his console sharing and this is absolutely just more diablo like <laughs> <laughs> like this is this is the other diablos to the t better graphics uh cutscenes are really cool um it just it's so funny because i want to give this game a chance but when dave uses sentences like once you complete the main game the game really starts it just <laughs> i just I can't handle that kind of shit <laughs> what does even, that even mean <laughs> even dragging you through the game wasn't really dragging you but playing like, you could tell yeah. like you could tell your energy levels were just slowly draining the further and further we went <laughs> well they didn't need to be high it was oh man it was so just like you know it's funny i jumped on minecraft dungeons with um with my two girls, five and eight, and their friend who's six. And we had like a pretty damn fun campaign uh, because it's all me just trying to rally them from running off and killing each other. But if we had all, all four of us had been in Diablo 4, I could just let them run off forever because it was so easy. Like Diablo 4 is exceptionally easy in the beginning, I will well, say. Well, 
we're playing World Tier One, mm-hmm. so we're kind of playing like the normal slot. I mean, this is all like on the level of difficulty of just kind of getting through the storyline. And then once I get into past the campaign, I'm going to kick it up to World Tier Two, where you really kind of start to harvest like a little bit more experience, a little bit more gold. But like I said, because the game doesn't really start until you're done with the campaign, I don't want the campaign to be difficult. I just want to kind of crush through it. So um, yeah. that's the reasoning on that. But yeah, you're right. Like it is fairly easy. I played four or five missions today on it and I didn't really break a sweat for the most part. So um, I think it's meant to be fun that way. You know, it's a power trip that everyone's going for. It. It, it's not Dark Souls you know, where you're challenging a boss. This is, I'm grinding out dungeons so I can get this piece of equipment that's legendary and has, like, max roll numbers on it so that my character can jump up another level of difficulty, so. That um, gameplay loop of of being incredibly overpowered and the point being to become more incredibly overpowered. (laughs) I was going to say, you're really not selling it to me here, Dave, (laughs) not going to lie. This is, this is like, you know, this is Division 2. It's the same thing, basically. Just dungeons, dragons, and demons, you know, as opposed to LMGs and mercenaries. So, um, and this kind of stuff I like to do, you know. It's, yeah. It can be a lot of fun for me. So Yeah, this is definitely where um, I think, Dave, you kind of diverge from me and Matt's taste. But obviously there's a huge contingency of people out there who love this shit because Diablo 4 is a massive seller right now and um and it seems like people are really enjoying it so right on well we're about to talk about witcher 3 here and you know i apologize in advance but you're both gonna have to indulge me here for a second uh because i've been thinking about this it's like we started couch co-op you know back in 2020 and we're still going strong here in 2023 and kind of the idea behind it I had always assumed was trying to replicate kind of those conversations you have when you're sitting next to the couch with your buddy, or even nowadays playing online over a mic. Um, For me personally, I've always felt like it's an opportunity to kind of, because you're slightly distracted by what's going on on the screen and and being engaged, um, it almost frees you up, be a little more honest. So I have a little stuff in the basement. I got to get out and then we'll dive right into the real video game talk here. But uh, finishing up Witcher 3 has been a little tough for me because, um, you know, my, my dear beloved dog passed away and he was actually my, um, couch co-op partner for the past 10 years. Um, you know, I used to have my brother, used to have neighborhood friends. And since the transition to, you know, having him and, and my two cats, those are kind of my buddies who I, I've always gamed with, especially late in the night. And, um, so this is kind of a bittersweet experience because it's the last big adventure and it's a grand massive adventure as we all know. And, uh, you know, it was the last one we went on together. So, um, you know, I can't be upset. I was very fortunate to have, you know, 10 years of being able to have him as a buddy. Uh, one of my favorite memories is, uh, the fact that he would usually go to bed with my wife and then inevitably at like two or three in the morning when I'd be up late getting my gaming in over the weekend, he'd start doing this high pitched whine and I would, it would always wake up Lily and she'd come, you know, yelling at me to come get him up. And I'd bribe him with a bunch of extra food. And uh, for the longest time, I just assumed it's like, oh, he's just doing this over and over because he'd do it like every hour once he got into the super late night hours. And um, 
you know, I, I assume for the longest time, it's like, oh, he's just doing this because he, he figured it out. He, he figured out that I'm just going to keep giving him more food until he shuts up and goes to bed. And it wasn't until, uh, you know, he got a little older and I got a little wiser that I realized that he was actually whining because he desperately wanted me to come to bed. So we'd all be a unit and in the bed together. So, um, you know, sweetest dog. I love him dearly and I'm very grateful to have him. So, you know, I did just prior to this complete the last boss in Witcher 3. So it's officially complete, you know, obviously have to move forward. He would want me to go forward with new adventures and, just want to say before we uh, really get into the pod here, gentlemen, that, you know, the love I get from the both of you um, is a lot. It's things like that that really help me overcome the grief I'm feeling, you know, through this tough experience. You know, obviously, my wife and I are relying heavily on each other and family to, you know, go through our moments of, of real sadness because it's it's a tough to accept a loss like that. But like I said, it's as you get older and the more you realize like how important it is to have those close to you. And uh, genuinely these experiences are some of the things I look forward to the most in my week when we get a chance to get together, be it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, going over to Jack's and barbecuing some meat and playing some games live with the girls or even here just chatting over the mic. And uh, you know, the last thing I'll say on it is, you know, when I do get sad there, there's a picture I have in my kitchen that reminds me, cheers me up every time i see it it's it was a drawn <laughs> by uh jack's daughter and for some reason my fingers look like peppa the pig i don't know <laughs> what the hell that means like i must have been swollen or something you put too much damn salt on the steak jack i, I don't know like it looks like i have earrings which is you know back in my old grungy days i did so maybe she's seeing like my the holes that still exist somewhere and I don't know, it, I look like, it looks like my brother, honestly, in the face. Like, so it's like, but it cracks me up every time I look at it. And like I said, again, it's it's that love of, and realization that there's there's many more experiences to come. So I can't get just stuck in the grief cycle. So uh, thank you, gentlemen, for indulging me for a moment. You know, I'm going to raise one up for my dear beloved dog, Rocky. Love him dearly. And... Uh, yeah, onwards and upwards, new adventures, gentlemen. My condolences on your loss, Nat. Uh, but if you want to bribe me with food to come hang out on the couch, you can do that anytime <laughs> you want. Bro. I'll just be throwing Funyuns and stuff at you every now and then. <laughs> I like Cheetos too, Reese's Pieces. You know, I accept those. Matt will be giving you food at the door so you turn around and walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Very accurate. I do love the fact that it's like the couch co-op concept. And meanwhile, I'm the guy who refuses to play with anybody anytime. So. Well, you did mention uh, we did actually do a real couch co-op uh, a couple weeks back. Jeez, it's been so long since we did the last pod. It's been over three weeks. So I kind of honestly, I just kind of spaced on that. But uh, shoot, uh, I finally got a chance to show you Spider Hack. And... You guys made a lot of fun of me as I fumbled around in Zelda and uh, got a chance to show you dreams. So, um, oh, yeah. And we played Hokra with uh, with the girls. So like an old staple that we played before they were born. Uh, we got to introduce them to that. So that was pretty that was pretty neat. Uh, it was an awesome experience. And I definitely look forward to more in the future someday. 
Yeah, only if your teammate plays, though. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you lost Hoker with all the different teammates. <laughs> that was okay. also the nostalgia hit. Was yeah. Dave yeah. getting on tilt over Hoker. <laughs> that was... <laughs> That's just how video games go sometimes, man. You gotta accept it. All right. Well, Witcher Three, boys. Uh, you know this one. We we all completed it, as David mentioned. This was your pick for the game of the year, the game that we all have to play through. And um, this, uh, as I've mentioned on numerous pods, this was definitely a title that, even though I've heard about it, everybody on Reddit seems to tell me that this is one of the greatest games ever played. They you know, I was super resistant to it. So, you know, going into this experience, I, I did not know what to expect because I definitely had my hater hater glasses on for this one, just ready to just tear it to shreds. And, and I have to say, now that I've officially completed the main game, um, you know, I, I'm really glad that I, I played this one, Dave. I'll, I'll just start off with that. Like I said, it was definitely not one that I was planning on picking up on my own, but I appreciate the kick in the butt to actually pick it up. Well, I appreciate the fact that both of you guys played this game. Um, and, you know, this is my third playthrough of the game, just kind of a testament to how much I appreciate it and the value I see in it. Uh, luckily, with the PS5 and CDPR being pretty cool about releasing an upgraded version for free for anyone that had it, uh, Jack was able to take advantage of it. Matt had to purchase the game, but hopefully got it on a cheap Um Interestingly, uh, this is not a game I would have pushed forward until one night I had downloaded it to see, you know, what it looked like on a PS5 on the upgraded version when Drac, in a drunken state, we're both mic'd up, had kind of sat there quiet and he's like, you know, I would uh, check that game out if it was your game of the year. And, you know, after that, I was just like the spark caught fire. So I announced it, I think the very next day, which was next a follow-up of this is a 160-hour game and then the rest of you two just that was definitely the equivalent of like a a, a bad hookup you know yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> I was, yeah i was real loose i was feeling great <laughs> you 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 know I you took charmed advantage me. of you baby <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's whispered sweet nothing's in my ear about how beautiful the new graphics look that was a beautiful <laughs> and then i wake up the next day and i'm like what where am i Oh man, I gotta get to work. (laughs) And then hours later, you called me up and and told me that you were late. So, (laughs) no, no, Jack, it's even worse than that. This is the equivalent of all of that. And then you end up with the pregnancy on top of it. Now you're stuck together for at least nine nine months to boot, seemingly. (laughs) Because that's how long this game takes to beat. Yeah. Especially but, if you play it like I do. So, yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, uh, this was a, a challenge for you guys. I wouldn't say challenge. Um, I kind of It kind of hit at a decent spot for me where I, I didn't have, like, anything that I really wanted to play. And so I was able to kind of dive in. And um, I got to say, I like this game quite a bit. Um, I, wish, I wish I had been able to to play and beat it in 30 hours as opposed to the 70 it took me to, to play the main campaign. Um, but that being said, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of areas of this game that I thought were excellent. Um, and most of the things I did not like about it. And, and there were a few um, were more like system 
systems that I don't appreciate in any type of games. You know, we were just talking about Diablo four. Um, there's just, there's just things about this game. It, it, it wasn't designed with, with my personality in mind, but that being said, so many of the things that it does incredible, uh, I was able to look, look past a lot of those and, and get a lot of enjoyment out of the experience. Well, I appreciate that. Um, and that's kind of something that I was hoping would be the result was that, you know, you would kind of see past the stuff that really kind of drags you down about video games, you know, and since we're all different personalities, there's obviously some things we're interested in that the others aren't. So, you know, to this, all right. So this game has got, I believe 250, maybe 260 game of the year awards was holding it down until um, the last of us two came out. Um, this game even got nominated by the Writers Guild, you know. Uh, uh, you know, this is an organization that I think generally doesn't involve itself in video games. So, um, it, it it also got nominated in uh, a Japanese RPG magazine, Famitsu Con, where uh, some good amount of people were asked to take a survey, and this game came up twentieth on their list. The other 19 are all Japanese RPGs, mostly dominated by Final Fantasy and Persona games. You know, so for, for a Western, like European based RPG that's outside of a genre that was created by Japan for it to, to get so many nominations, like there had to be something special about this game. So, um, Matt, you know, is there, is there any like things that really kind of, kept you pushing through this game or is it something that you know kind of got its hooks into you kind of quick because my experience was it took me about three startups for me to really kind of start to see what i ended up appreciating about it you know so i'm jack you're not the only one that felt like you know the the first 20 hours are a slog so matt for you was that the same experience or you know were you kind of hooked a lot quicker than that uh, what I'll say is that I I think I just learned to appreciate it. maybe it's tied to the writing, but I think just the way they did some of the quests. That's why I started to really get hooked. Like the gameplay itself, in particular, the way they introduce it. Honestly, like the tutorial level for Witcher Three is kind of dreadful. Like I really like in Karamoran at the very beginning. Like I remember, like the first time I hit the attack button. I think Jack, you shared this experience. He starts doing the twirling and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to do 200 hours of this. Like, there's no way in hell. It's called a pirouette. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was just like it It doesn't do a great job of introducing anything for somebody who I guess isn't familiar with the canon and isn't familiar with the characters. Like, it just kind of throws you in and just treats you like you assume <laughs> it assumes you know who all these people are and like why you're supposed to be attached to them and why you're supposed to give a crap. And it's very slow moving at the beginning. So like the initial part, I was pretty bummed out. I think the moment that kind of was a jump off is there's just a stupid little sub quest that you run into, like not even one I think you get like full credit for where you like rescue a guy on the side of the road and, you know, you help him out or where and he escapes. And then later you find out, find him again. And he's part of a bandit crew and he killed a bunch of innocent people. And you find out that you're ultimately re- were responsible for all these innocent people being butchered by this guy because you helped free him from some monsters or whatever. 
but it's kind of the moments like that that really kind of suck me in where it was like oh wow like you know i know it's common for a lot of games to try and put you into these weird zones where like oh all the bad choices are good and all the good choices are bad or whatever but in this one it truly felt like it forced you to have to think every decision major decision that came about because the game really does remind you that like hey these these things are pretty significant down the road and it's going to alter your experience somewhat you know the end result will probably be pretty similar but you will go through everyone will have kind of a different story of how they interacted with it and every major decision actually warrants you taking a moment to think about so that was one of the things that really jumped out to me of enjoying i agree matt it's it's very dense in the beginning um the lore i mean it's it's a complicated world and I actually appreciate the way they handle it, although it's difficult It's difficult to do so at, in the first few hours because you don't really know where it's going. But if they try to just like like pound you with all the different political factions and all the different you know sides and intricacies of the war, it would have been overwhelming and I would have I would have fallen off. But you don't know that that stuff's going to get parceled out as you kind of play through. And so it, you just kind of you just got to trust that um, trust in it and, and kind of get through just not knowing what the hell's going on with all these characters. And, and... yeah, you're not wrong because you're absolutely right. Like it's a very deep plot. And actually, like it, it does do a pretty good job wrapping it up towards the end. I just am of the mindset that like I thought it would have been just start it off with exactly what it is. Like, why don't you just have it like immediately have him engaged with fighting off a bunch of monsters? I mean, that's what he does. Right. And just that way you can do the tutorial where it's like, here's how you do all the different attacks. You can make, you know, maybe it's a creature that you actually have to use all of his different spells and stuff on. And I, I just think that would be a better introduction than this really slow one where it's like, Again, if I had played Witcher 1 and 2 or read the books, I'd probably be like super jacked to see all these characters interacting, but I didn't. So I'm just coming into this blind, and it was really, really dull. Um, so you're probably suggesting that the Griffin probably should have been like the start off point, you know, because that is that is a part of the tutorial where it shows you how to use the the bow and then also how to craft bombs, that kind of stuff, how to fight a monster, which is, like, the biggest part. Um, I think this game, obviously, the strength is in its writing, and um, kind of my first, like, thought I wanted to hit your opinions about was quests. Like, there's so many quests in this game. They're all over the place. As Matt knows, those question marks are <laughs> can be a handful at times, considering he did probably arguably one of the largest quests in the game, hitting up some like 30 or 40 question marks in a boat, which uh, I tip my hat to you on that one. But I do not. Were there... <laughs> I, my first thought is your like most favorite hated quests. I mean, obviously, I'm not asking for like a number one, but what what are the quests that stood out? to you the most on a positive level and then the the quest that really kind of really left a super sour taste in your mouth uh matt would you like to start off yeah i'll, I'll start off. i think i've mentioned it before but the the bloody baron um one to me i thought is pretty significant only because that i think is just like the darkest example of that kind of like no right choice 
Um, you know, I, I should preface this by saying I don't play these games with a guide, but I, I'm not afraid to pause in certain moments and look up just because I'm curious to see um, what ends up happening. And I don't want to like bury myself in terms of, you know, a decision and then find out three hours later that I have to go back if I want to see certain things. So, so there's definitely jump off points where I, I will, you know, consult with like a guide and, and the Blade Baron I thought was just excellent in that regard where you really are just faced with this horrible decision. It's like on one end, you can free this demon that kills an entire village of people. But then on the other end, if you don't free it, then these five little cute kids that are running around and talking to you when you discover them in the swamp, like all get eaten. So it's like, which one's the lesser of the two evils here? It's an absolutely horrible decision and and nobody should be faced with that. And, you know, in the medium of video games, that's like, it's rare to be faced with an actual moralistic decision that you actually or take pause on because most of the time we're just accustomed to being able to shoot or kill anything and not have any repercussion or just have the game say, no, that's not allowed. So uh, in that case, I just felt like it was like just well done where it was like, wow, like I actually need to consult not only like message boards and guides here, but also I'm kind of going to dig deeper and see like how people did react to that and what their logic was. So it's rare. I get that with a video game. That mission was, well, I, I should say I, I did not use a guide maybe once or twice throughout the entire game. And, and I had no idea. I just kind of went with my gut and who I trusted in that scenario. And I didn't trust either of them, but I knew I really didn't like the hag. So I went with the, with the plant creature or whatever, or I killed the, I think I killed the plant creature. Anyway, the kids had all ended up dying, whatever, whatever the result was. And I was like, I was just kind of like, what? <laughs> like, huh? That just happened? Are they talking about like they're, they're just gone? And um, I kind of thought that was really cool just because, um, like you were saying, Matt, there's, there's a lot of there, – there's not like a right or a wrong choice in a lot of these circumstances. You kind of got to uh, just decide your best course of action, go with your gut. And I fucked up, you know, like I, I, I obviously would have gone with the other choice if I'd had to, you know, uh, but, you know, I picked the wrong one and it was the save was in the books. And so that, that was my playthrough. And there was a lot of stuff like that throughout the game um, where, and some of it frustrated me. Some of the decisions I felt like they kind of like, basically I steered myself into just didn't really i didn't feel like my decisions justified some of the actions that um that Geralt did but for the most part it it was just awesome to have these like events unfold and be like well i made my decision and i'm stuck with it um beyond that the mission uh, i just thought the baron was just such an interesting character obviously um uh, not somebody who i respect um, he, you know, uh, some of his actions are really reprehensible, but relative to the typical characters you run into in video games, it just seemed very nuanced. And I just like the fact that he was doing these horrible things, but they, they didn't just like paint it in broad strokes. There was a lot more to his character than that, which why I still felt like he was, a, you know, a bad person. I didn't feel like it was um, just like, you know, just like this comic book villain. No, that's yeah. per- perfectly said. 
Uh, yeah, there's a lot of death, you know, in the history. He was a soldier, uh, stumbled uh, across a lot of stuff, and I think that's something that this game does very well. Um, yeah, no, I was just going to say with the Baron, too, like, yeah, that there's so many layers to it. And that's that's where I was going to say the strength of this game with the good, the, especially with the missions that hit, is that, like, you know, obviously we've all played countless video games that force you to make decisions and whatever, and we've all we've recorded countless episodes where we recap the decisions, but it's very rare that a video game is the decision is so deep that it forces you to ask why you came to that decision. And that's why I liked about this one. Cause like you said, Jack, like perfect with the Baron, because when you actually follow all of his backstory, it's like you're torn. It's like on one end, he took this character Siri in and, you know, who was a character that you, the protagonist view is basically your daughter and he you know, helped her back to health. He protected her. He gave her some money, set her on her way and everything. But then on the other side, you hear all the st- stuff with his wife and how horrible he abused her and everything. And you're like, God, he's, he's an awful, disgusting human being. So it is kind of that huge conflict. And it does lead to some interesting, you know, what you look at, how you view certain things. I just thought that one was very, very well done. And I think that the, voice acting was top-notch with that one as well. David, I, I definitely, after all three of us have played through this, as much as uh, Matt seems to have enjoyed it, and I like to call it, but it, this is really like one of your favorite games of all time. And I seem to recall the Bloody Baron being like the first moment of the game where you were like really pulled into this world. Is that is that accurate? No, that's super accurate. Um, you know, I think matt really exemplifies it on my third playthrough it's definitely shifted away because i've experienced this so much that you know there's other missions that i've played where i'm kind of like oh this encapsulates different parts of it and i'll get into that later but yeah the bloody baron was one of the first where after the tutorial and kind of getting a little bit more comfortable with the world using roach um combat where i kind of felt like oh wow this is this is it one intriguing story you know i'm enjoying the music the setting but i also have this character that is an alcoholic you know beats his wife like kind of abuses his like position of power but is also shown kindness you know and has shown empathy and remorse for what he's done you know and in all three of my playthroughs that motherfucker hangs himself so (laughs) like i and that's just because the way i just play it out and I feel like is the right way to play it out, but he ends up always hanging himself in my playthroughs. Well, I think that's, you know, really important to mention is as far as all three of us played it, I, I think some of these missions we're talking about, we should tell what the result is. And in my mission, he actually, uh, he, he lives and um, he goes to take care of, uh, he goes off to take care of his, uh, to his wife, who is uh, for both uh, realistic reasons and mystical reasons is pretty effed up by the end of the mission. Well, and that's because I don't let the children die. I always choose to to let the townsfolk take it because they're adults who are willingly, you know, partaking in this. And this actually ends up tying into my favorite quest, which, you know, we'll get to later after we get through yours. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, with mine, uh, I actually... Um, experienced I, I i managed to break the quest in the sense that i i encountered the uh plant creature or whatever prior to actually getting to the quest line because 
like we've, we've discussed, <laughs> I go through and I do all the question marks. So, so I ran to this creature and, and just did it as a normal quest. And so what ends up happening is um, you technically save the kids and the village dies, but the game treats it as if the kids got eaten. It, it's really strange. Like they won't interact with you. Like it, it, like the dialogue is the same as if they're all gone, but in my head, I, I save the children. So, um, and, and yeah, as a result, the Baron do, did live for me as well. And uh, it, it's funny though, because I remember you mentioning this before Jack, when we talked about, it, and this rang true for me as well, as much as I liked that. And maybe it's a sign of how much I enjoyed this quest. The period after really just like, took the feet like my feet came out from under me and like i went from being like super jacked on this game to just being like kind of like on the not i wouldn't say on the verge of quitting but if there was going to be a part where i put it down like it once you get to kind of outside into the city area i was just kind of like eh, it's no longer doing it for me and, and i'm still trying to figure out why that is well um go ahead jack sorry Oh, I was just going to say that's a good segue because um, Bloody Baron, amazing mission. Uh, but eight years ago, seven years ago when I played this game, after that mission is is when I stopped playing the game. Uh, I tried to push through and I didn't. And same thing in this playthrough. And I didn't even remember that. I just I just knew like based upon my trophy information that that's where I – apparently that's where I stopped playing. Same thing happened on this playthrough. Um and I was really struggling. I, I almost just put it down and said, you know what, I've, I've done enough of this. And then uh, I hit one of my favorite missions of the game, and that is uh, the, uh, the brawl at the bathhouse. And, gentlemen, you know how much I love a spa. You know, no, nothing beats a good spa atmosphere, whether it's, whether it's Banya with, with my boys or uh, – or watching the John Wick, <laughs> or watching John Wick get down in the movie theater, um, and this brawl house in the spa. One, I just I love the atmosphere. Just I don't know, like after all this, like wandering around in these like cities and stuff, just going through this like cool spa where you feel like, huh, this is you know really different. And then you meet some of the most cool characters in the game. Um, the, the little crew that are planning their assassination of, uh, I believe you pronounce his name, King Radovid. Oh, Radovid, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought that mission was was just awesome because, you know, it seems like we're all just chilling in the spa and then all of a sudden the assassins walk in and all these, all these you know, all these dudes just getting down on their, on their chill or just all of a sudden start pulling out like axes and spears out of nowhere and all the people in the spa are running off in terror. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, we get we get to duke it out in the spa. I don't know. Um, that, that mission kind of pulled me back in, especially because, uh, like I said, some of my favorite characters, I won't go into too much detail because I have a feeling Dave, who is, who is hosting, is going to be asking about some of our favorite characters later on. But, um, yeah, the, uh, that, that whole, that's kind of where I got started getting pulled back in. Um, yeah. That makes sense. Because, yeah, I, I think my issue with it was just in the cityscape. Like, uh, we'll, we'll, touch base on again because as over the course of the conversation but one criticism i have of cd project red as a whole is 
they have a tendency to get a little self-indulgent and they have a tendency to be overly charismatic just to show that they can. And I think when you enter into the major city uh, in Witcher 3 is really, really indicative of that, where it's just like they put so much attention and detail into it, but it's just kind of like, to it's almost suffocating. It's like, I just kind of want to get out of this because I was enjoying being in the free reign and just kind of riding the horse around, riding into my random question marks. And now I'm just in this compact area where everything is dense and it's like harder to navigate. And so I, I don't know, that was my take, but you're right, Jack, running into Dijkstra in particular, um, that kind of brought me back pretty quick because certainly he's in that realm of uh, favorite characters for me. Well, up until that point, there wasn't a whole lot of like political play going on. It was more, you know, mystical. I mean, yeah, you're dealing with a king, but all of a sudden you're dealing with intrigue and, you know, huge, huge players on a, on a, you know, global, on a global scale. And it just kind of opened up a lot of the world, a lot of, a lot of the world building in a way I really liked, in a way I felt like, one, it was kind of moving around without me, but my character, Geralt, was important enough to actually have influence on, on some major uh, some major plot points in the story. And so just having that kind of – those kind of two things collide where you have this huge world that you're – that's too big for you to fully be in control of, but you're still a major player. Uh, I, I thought that was kind of where the game started going from this point. And this is, was kind of the introduction to that. And I thought it was a pretty solid introduction based around just how great these, these personalities were. That, that. Um, I wanted to talk about some quests. And these are further down into the game. Obviously, having three playthroughs, you know, it's kind of been a way for me to filter out some stuff. But mine, I kind of consider it an arc. And it starts off with the Battle of Kaer Morhen which goes into Blood on the Battlefield and then to Bald Mountain. And I really kind of ended up replaying these on the third time and really appreciating it more because I felt like this started to really was a big encapsulation of like the potential for this game. You know, the Battle of Kaer Morn is this big set piece where, you know, if you've <clears throat> recruited allies, you know, which you can get, um, Kira Metz, you can get, uh, another Witcher from a different school who's also from the second game. So I thought that was super cool. And you can get Zoltown on your side and then you can get one of the on crates with you. So, you know, this really ties into that decision making, right? That, you know, you've been able to draw all these characters on depending if you did these quests, sat through them and kind of, you know, listen to what these characters say. But then, you know, you got this huge fight with the Wild Hunt because you brought Siri back and you set it up there purposely, you know. So you've got two other witchers with you, or three, Vesemir. And then you've got Siri, you've got Yennefer, you got Triss. So you've got this, like, whole huge crew that's fighting to save Siri. And then, you know, spoiler alert, during the fight, you know, um, Vesemir ends up dying trying to save Siri. And then... Uh, there's this whole funeral scene with the, you know, blood on the battlefield. And it's kind of all about, you know, moving on past the death of a character. And uh, you get to see what all the other characters are going to go do. And then that leads into the battle of or bald mountain, where you go to confront one of the wild hunt generals, Imlareth, who ended up killing Vesemir. 
And I really appreciated this because it also kind of ties you back into the whole, uh, the crones of Crookback Bog in the sense that this is their like really big place of power. And then you get to see why so many of the people in Velen have, you know, worshiped them is because, you know, even though they have to sacrifice, they also bring bounty. So it's just kind of like, I think microcosm of how like power tends to work in the real life where it's like, yeah, these people aren't the best, you know, these things aren't the best, but we still got to invest into them so that they keep investing into us. But it's also, you know, a mission of vengeance too. So, which ends up leading to one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing where you're fighting Imlareth and then, you know, on his death stroke, he um, goes straight to a cutscene. He kind of like knocks your weapon out of your hand and then, you know, picks you up by the throat. And you do this really cool thing where you just like use Igni to fry his face, which is, you know, he's fully helmeted and armored up. So you're just cooking him alive, you know, this whole thing. And he like drops you, he falls back to his knees and peels his helmet off and he's just like charred meat. And he's sitting there grunting and he's like, where'd you learn to do that? And he's like, the guy you killed taught me. And then you end up taking his weapon and using it to, you know, take his head out. So... You know, I, I felt like those three missions really just encapsulate so much of this game where, you know, the the fight at Kaer Morhen is all action. You know, you got a pretty burly Geralt by now because you've invested in some different armor pieces, better armor. You got more skills going on. You've got drama and then you've got vengeance and like kind of a tie into the whole area of what Velen is. So I, I really felt like those three missions consist of an art that really kind of ended up becoming my favorite missions to do yeah i agree dave like those were excellent and quite frankly um you know i i've always said i'm a sucker for any of those types of things where you get the ensemble together especially in a situation like this where i get rewarded for checking off all of those question marks that i discover along the way but um I, I've definitely, when I think of like games on this scale, like, um, you know, one of the first ones that comes to mind is Mass Effect and, you know, the Mass Effect trilogy. And, and in the third one, you know, there's some really cool moments as you're leading up to the finale where you have your crew assemble and you're going to approach it, but you kind of get robbed of that experience. So I feel like actually the Battle Care More, and despite being an older game, like, you know, it, it was quite well done for having the ensemble and in some ways like even rivals what the most recent god of war ragnarok did at the end when you have everyone together like obviously the visuals are not quite on par but it still like had that kind of sense of excitement of truly like racing into battle with like a crew that you you know know or supporting you throughout it so again it's an older game and and certain areas aren't nearly as thematic or, or as solid but um I, I would certainly put it in the conversation with those, um, but and certainly actually deliver it as opposed to what Mass Effect Three does for you. Um, Jack, one of my complaints about the first two acts of this game were just how dry and um, emotionless Geralt was. I mean, he's the main character. I wanted I wanted to care about something. And everything in this world is really exciting. And, and him being so dry, it kind of it allows everybody else to be really exciting. So on, on the one hand, I get it. On the other hand, it just drove me crazy that I couldn't 
like emotionally connect with this person I was spending so much time with. And this is the part of the game uh, where Siri actually kind of comes into the fold. You're not just playing as her and like these random kind of cut scenes here and there. And so um, to me, these three missions you're talking about are really important because they kind of finally establish something that Geralt cares about. Siri, Vesemir, uh, this, this kind of family, this entire family that he's kind of brought together at the, at the battle. And it kind of changed the dynamic of how I felt about the, the main protagonist, which is really important for like when I look back at this game and how I feel about it, how I feel about the characters. And so having, like you said, this, this quest where all basically what becomes kind of your family come together to protect the person who is most important to you. And then following that up with going on basically a mission with that same person and going on a mission of, of vengeance uh, it, it just delivered in a way that I think was really important for the like grand scale of, of the game. Actually, I think you, uh, you nailed it, Jack, because I think that actually explains why, I, at least in my case, I experienced that lull immediately after the Bloody Baron, because up until that point, you, you know, Bloody Baron forces you to have to care for obvious reasons. You know, it, it's, you know, you're not only you trying to find Siri, but also there's the children, like I said, the swamp and components like that. And just the whole, however you handle the Baron, because, you know, in certain playthroughs, you're essentially trying to help him heal from, you know, an awful thing. He experienced his own trauma. So, um, but I think what does is then you get to the big city afterward and you're surrounded by all this awful shit. Like everywhere you look, it's injustice. Like every corner you're seeing people burned at the stake. You're seeing like people just like treated like garbage or whatever. And Geralt like really doesn't do anything about it. He just kind of like continues on, you know, his path for lack of a better descriptor. Like he very much is just so indifferent to like all these horrible things, even, you know, and you just kind of like, moves along and it's not until again like you said you get into that like last act where it's like all of a sudden you see him when he's actually invested in willing to step up and make a change in, in something and it's a completely different experience like all of a sudden you're invested in like the outcomes and everything and you're not just a guy plodding along doing contracts which i think may have been a design thing and may have been intentional i'm sure it's more tied to the character in the book but yeah definitely that drop off in emotional connection versus what you get when you're actually really like experiencing motivated to do something is night and day for sure. And, you know, I think my most hated quest really reflects, I think some of that, the negative aspects of this game that I think you two reflect really well. It's wandering in the dark. So you team up with Kara Metz to go find series friend that, you know, knows, where she's at you don't know that it's like a major player in the game it's just someone that's talked to you know been seen talking to series so um it, it's just i felt like it was such a drag like kira metz isn't one of my favorite characters in the game like i could kind of care less about her so having her attached with me going through a cave going through a bunch of puzzles and then having to look for stuff and then this like kind of what I feel like is an obnoxious fight and really kind of was a big turnoff for me was like the first wild hunt general you fight is in that mission and you know you got to fight 
got to stay in her protective orb while you fight off like the wild hunt minions and then you got to stay in her orb when you're fighting this guy and you got to wait for him to like depower and i just kind of felt like wow if if this is what the main bad guys are going to offer me like uh even though the you know bloody baron was such a great mission like this is obviously i think a dip so that that kind of mission going through it a third time was horrible for me um but yeah definitely encapsulates some of the worst parts of this game um i'd like to move on uh we kind of touched a little bit base about favorite most you know your favorite characters and hated characters i think you know bloody baron's probably a popular one amongst both of you guys but is there anyone that really stood out i know matt there was a particular barber that kind of made you laugh so i think the npcs have a lot of strength in this game uh do you have anything you want to add to like as far as some of the characters you come across which ones you like which ones you don't like that barber killed me like that was one of my favorite random encounters for sure uh jack i don't know if you ran into him because i'm sure you probably never even bothered to have your character's haircut but um there's a there's a random barber in, in kind of the shitty part of the city and you run you go in and each time you encounter a barber it's the same menu it's like you can pick a different haircut pick a different beard but this particular one when you walk in the guy's clearly drunk and uh, whatever haircut you pick, it ends up going the fade to black. And, and, you know, usually it generates with whatever the hairstyle you want. But in this case, it does a random one. So it's like super funny, just like Geralt, like going from being like, oh, yeah, I want long and flowing or whatever. And then it fades to black. Then it comes back. It's all spiked and jacked up. He's like, that's not what I asked for. And the guy's just like, oh, that looks right to me. So I just thought it was a clever little like stupid thing, especially because, like I said, it's, it's a dumb thing I did in the game was like, oh, duck in, get a haircut. Why not? You know? I like to do that when I play these kind of massive games sometimes. So, uh, but that was a fun little kick in the butt. But I, I the character I, I love the most was Dijkstra. Um, I, I just loved his rapport with Geralt throughout. I thought he was just that like perfect blend of like super conniving, like you don't trust him for shit. But at the same time, when you actually add up the totality of like everything, like he actually is a pretty solid dude that always seems to be like kind of doing the right thing but he's just such a dick. You just assume he's screwing you over somehow or, or you're always prepared for something to end poorly. I ended up chopping him in half later on. So, I mean, obviously he didn't mean that much to me, but he, uh, he very much, I thought like his delivery and everything was just super fun and uh, probably one of my favorite uh, non-player characters for sure. Probably the best voice acting in the game, I would say. I mean, just, the nuance of it, uh, the the nuance of his character. And like I was saying, he kind of, he's there when they kind of introduce you to the whole political aspect of the game. And, and like you said, I think he's like, okay, dude, you know, nobody's good in this game. Nobody's bad. Um, but he at least isn't evil. And, um, I don't know. I, I thought his character was awesome. Uh, probably my favorite character in the game as well, Matt. I uh, really did not like the way he went out. It was just like, <laughs> it was so unceremonious and just the decision-making behind it all. One of the things that just cracked me up about this game is Geralt, who is this walking legend. 
And it's awesome because it's so cool to walk around and have all these people be like, oh, the Witcher, you know, like and like talk about the deeds that I never experienced because I have no concept of this world outside of what I found in this game. But um, but throughout this, despite the fact that this walking legend who is basically, you know, sliced his way through monsters and wars over and over again, people just are like, yeah, we'll kill this guy. Yeah, you're going to, you know, like the boss will be like, oh, you three, you kill this guy. I'm going to leave. You know, like it, it's just like, wh- what do you think's going to happen here? Like, you're clearly going to die to this guy like everybody does. And yet over and over again, um, you'd find yourself in missions where some dumbass decides he thinks he can take on, you know, the most notorious witcher, you know, in the world. And um, I thought the mission, uh, this is the mission where Radovid dies. It's it's the tail end of it. And um, Radovid, awesome character, like I mentioned earlier, uh, one of the most badass finishes to him because when he gets taken out by uh, Priscilla, I think, yeah, I mean, that was just primo you know the the smoke in the eye the shank like oh it's for such an evil fucker that you hated it was just perfect um but then to go to the scene where my favorite character in the game the guy with the most nuance just decides to do what all these other dumbasses throughout the game have done and just been like eh, carol you'll die like dude like you've been so smart throughout this entire game you've admitted that you suck at fighting so why does he put himself in this position where, I don't know, I thought it was a real miss, and um, which was too bad because because this mission is, is, is pretty badass. And I thought it was a real miss and just kind of like uh, kind of a disappointing way for such a, for such a um, I don't know, just a really cool character to go out. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I actually think that like forcing you to make the decision because it's really, it's him or Roach. And Roach... It's not really a decision. Yeah, exactly. Like Roach is just like kind of your all all around just like good dude. Like he's like the guile of the Witcher universe. Like you can't hate him. Like he's just, you just like, went to the castle like two missions ago to to help your daughter. Like, <laughs> like you can't turn your back on him. Yeah, it, and it's really I feel like that's where it kind of sucked because I'm sure the decision is because. Again, it, it may be tied to the book. It may be, you know, for a wide variety of reasons. But it, it is kind of a bummer because so many of the great decisions and the great missions in this game, it's because it forces you to make a decision between, like, hit, you know, it's Roach or Siri or, you know, just like for, you know, just a first example. It's like it's a major one that you're going to feel shitty no matter which one you go for. In this case, it's kind of like, again, it's like as much as I like Dijkstra, it's like, dude, you just announced your horrible nefarious plan to become the new (laughs) emperor and you're going to totally screw this guy over on his deal, even though he just helped you out with his killing the king. Like, what the hell, man? Like, like, if anything, Dijkstra, like you said, would be slinking off into the shadows and save that for later and then... Exactly. Then maybe in the epilogue, you would be like, and then it turned out he screwed over Roach and had them all like executed, like 300 style. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that seems more online with Dijkstra than rather him being on a stage and be like, oh, I'm going to take this shitty little hatchet and I'm going to take on Geralt, the Witcher King. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It's it's like I said, it's it's unfortunate because I really do like this mission a lot. Um, I, I thought just. I really thought Radovid played like a, 
evil to the T, like just he's nuts, you know? So you get it. Like a lot of times evil is kind of stupid because it seems like there's no, there's no logic behind it. But with Radovid, the lack of logic makes sense because he's just fucking nuts, you know? So, um, and when he gets taken out by, you know, one of the uh, sorceresses who he tortured and killed her friend, it's really satisfying. So it's, it's just kind of a bummer that Dijkstra is so unsatisfying. Uh, as far as unsatisfying for me, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of do my worst character first, and then I'm gonna go into my best character, which is gonna tie up into my next like talking point with this game. But Hjalmar on crate, man, did this was like one of those missions that kind of wasn't it wasn't the worst because I actually appreciated the mission a lot. I just hated doing this for this character because. He just represents everything that's like shitty about, you know, royalty and honor and like this whole like society bent on just like being honorable, which means taking all your homies and any idiot that's willing to listen to you, go over to an island and just slowly <laughs> have them all die off. And then, you know, wonder why your friends aren't around because they've been kidnapped by a giant or killed by every other monster on this fucking island. You're still going to go over there, but um, yeah, Halmar on Crate, horrible character. Uh, I don't even say he's well-written. I just I just kind of felt like that they needed a counterpoint to his sister, who I felt like was kind of like a more poignant leader and kind of someone naturally where I was like, despite kidnapping a baby, like was trying to help out and is overall a good leader. So um, yeah, Halmar was just horrible. And I, I laugh about him every time I think about him, <laughs> It's like, where are all my homies at? It's like fucking dead body over there. He's like, oh, no, he's fine. Get up. He's going to fight. And then, leave him in the cage. <laughs> yeah, and then leave, leave one of the guys that came with you in the cage. So that's this horrifying monster yeah. can, like, swing him around and throw him at you guys. So um, I always save that guy's life, that poor idiot. <laughs> like, but. And then, you know, this goes in my favorite character, which, you know, is also tying up into my next thought, which is Geralt as the main character. Um, Jack, you've kind of, you know, made some gleaming, or you may give some insight onto your opinion about Geralt, whereas I feel a lot of the opposite. Um, I feel like he's probably one of the better main characters I've used because he's just got enough of his own personality, but you get enough options throughout the game to approach it in different ways. Uh, Jack, I recall you wanting to play him as a witcher, so you haggled on your contracts and, you know, you took money and that's what makes sense. They're out there to make money and that's by hunting. But I, I approached Geralt where I didn't take any money in the main game. And the only contract where I haggled on was this big asshole in Blood and Wine where I was like, okay, this, I'm going to try to reap this guy as much as I can because he's such a jerk. Um, but I found like most, most of them I was more than happy to give away because I felt like Geralt, even though he's a witcher and he's out to make money, like he's in this state of mind where empathy is definitely like a bigger part of his character than it was in the other games because he's got this history with Yennefer. He's got this history with Ciri. He's desperately looking for, you know, he wants to get to her. He wants to protect her from her father, protect her from the wild hunt, you know, and finds out that like she's attached to some other you know, characters that, you know, he's not too fond of, but he's there to to be a protector. So I definitely played him on that route. And 
I loved his sense of humor. I love the fact that he had like this really dry wit about so many things. And I felt like it was reflected when, you know, a character on a, on a side quest characters, like, I need you to go to this graveyard and I need you to go find this object that's attached to this person, you know? And Geralt's just like, ah, yeah, fine. You know, it, throughout the game, it gets more and more to the point where he's like, let me guess, you want me to go kill a monster for you, you know, that kind of stuff. But yet he ends up doing it. And so, you know, I kind of feel like, and, you know, like you were saying, he's a weapon of mass destruction. Like, you know, that's something I think all these games, you kind of, it's it's a power trip. It really is, you know, with these RPGs. You know, the whole point is that you start off on the low end and then you build up to something of a being that can take on like these astronomically difficult enemies you know and the power scales are intense and all that kind of stuff and almost our every rpg i played that's how it kind of goes and with Geralt, you start high off but as you move along you just keep ramping up higher and higher to the point where you are this legendary witcher you know that can take on the wild hunt, like huge swaths of these guys, you know, like I was saying with the, you know, Battle of Kaer Morhen. So, I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like that they give you enough leeway and wiggle room for you to play Geralt in different manners and you can approach the story in different ways because you can also be a womanizing son of a bitch in this game. They give you plenty of opportunities to, like, you can go to the brothels and you can hook up with her there's a really rare quest that you can get by triggering certain things where you can get Triss and Yennefer to pretend like they're about to have a threesome with you when they end up strapping you down to the bed and then they go get drunk together, you know? So there's like these small nuances involved with it that allow Geralt to kind of shine in whichever direction you want, but you're never going to lose that feeling that like you're not capable of taking on the challenges within this world. So uh, do you guys have any opinions about Geralt? as the main character. Well, I told you, I thought, I thought his character really came alive in the third act when he had a chance to kind of become that father figure with Siri. And um, I mean, they had such great chemistry together that it really kind of pulled me into his character. Uh, I chose to romance Yennefer in the game. And I thought the mission with her uh, where they go up to uh, basically they end up trying to find the, the Dijin and uh, finding yeah, finding the uh, the boat on the top of the mountain not only was just like a spectacle, but it really kind of shined a light on um, their relationship and and gave them and humanized both of them because up until that point I don't think I really liked Jennifer very much, but just the fact that she was willing to sacrifice uh, I shouldn't say sacrifice risk risk her life, um, not to get away from Geralt but to basically remove this curse and allow herself to really be able to have faith in her feelings. And the fact that, you know, because I decided to romance her uh, because Trish is just an awful character and I didn't like her at all. Um, it, it really, uh, it was just a really cool moment, you know, where you, you kind of do, you kind of do have the, the option to show like a little bit of passion, you know, because passion is something that Geralt absolutely lacks and I know that's what the Witcher um, processes uh, take away. You know, they take away the emotion. But we've seen in other characters that that's not the case. And I, I think the best example I can give you is the uh, the mission, the final trial, I believe it's called. 
And that is where you and your uh, Witcher buddy, uh, Dave, can you help me with his name? Lambert. Uh, Lambert. Lambert. Yeah. You guys go on what I felt at the time was just like the perfect, the perfect excuse to give Geralt a little bit of, a little bit of spark. And basically what the mission is, is you, you trace the, basically the footsteps of all the Witcher, Witcher, uh, excuse me, initiates as they go through their trials. And it's revealed that this a really kind of disgusting setup where they're taking these kids and most of them don't make it. Most of them perish to what is like this horrible, you know, um, horrible practice to prove themselves, to prove that they can be witchers. And um, whereas your buddy Lambert is like going all emo on us and like whining and complaining the whole time. Geralt, who went through the same shit and is is basically retracing these steps and they're seeing, you know, the ghosts of these dead children, um, is is just unmoved throughout that throughout that uh, entire chapter. And to me, it was it was really disappointing. And and it, I almost sealed the book on his character in that moment because I was just. So I was like, this is, you know, for this character that isn't given a lot of chance to show like why he would, you know, why he is the way he is. They just seem to kind of ignore the opportunity. Um, but as I found later on, Geralt isn't really moved by anything that's happened to him. He doesn't, he doesn't really care about his existence. Like you said, Dave, he is a, he's a protector. And therefore when he gets a chance to shine emotionally, it's all when Siri or Yennefer or, um, Vesemir are involved. And um, once I saw that, I was able to get on board. But in the midst of that uh, final trial mission, I, I was pretty disappointed in, in where the game was taking him. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Like, Geralt was actually a huge reason why I wasn't too excited about playing The Witcher 3 because he's just like, I, I guess some people would consider it somewhat derogatory, but he's that Mary Sue archetype of just like being like too perfect in too many different ways. He's the swashbuckling guy with Jedi powers who also happens to be super like good, great with all the ladies he encounters, who also is like world renowned for all of his talents. He knows everything about wine. He knows food. He knows art. Like, it's just like, he, it seems, it reminds me of like back when like, you tried to play like a real RPG with your friends, but nobody could get past the character creation because there was always the super nerdy kid who's just like, no, and then my guy has this. He does magic, but he also carries battle axe, but he's also <laughs> seven feet tall, but he's also like, so I had a real like tough time kind of accepting him. And then it didn't help that when Netflix came out, it's like, oh yeah, we'll cast Henry Cavill. He's, you know, <laughs> No, nothing but the epitome of what everything he strives for in masculinity. So, I mean, like I said, nothing was more comical. Like, despite all the gratuitous parts of this game, like nothing is more comical than all the sequences when Geralt has no shirt on just because he's built like literal V, but he's somehow like still like scrawny at this, but pure <laughs> muscle at the same time. Like, I, I, I with the steroids. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I agree that, like, moments where they allow him to have emotions are great. Like, the, the storyline in, in the moments, like, leading up to the end are, are excellent. The rapport with him and Siri, depending on your decisions, is excellent. But 
it also was hard for me to to accept because everything you're told throughout this game constantly is like you don't have emotions you don't have the ability to feel this you can't do this and he seems to exhibit it but at the same time he kind of doesn't because i feel like they give you so many options to just kind of showcase emotions early on so i agree dave like you're absolutely right like he is brilliant in the sense that like he's very malleable. Like if you make a horrible decision, you treat somebody poorly, it seems on par. It's like, okay, that seems like a realistic reaction. Just as it does if you do something very nice and nurturing, it's like, okay, that he seems like the bad or the great meanie with a heart of gold kind of, you know? So in that sense, it works. And there's only so much you can do. I just think that like, again, that power of fantasy you're talking about, Dave, probably comes from the books, probably comes from the writer, just making Geralt just this perfect image of this fantasy character that just gives him so many powers it's hard to actually like take him seriously as like a vulnerable character in any regard because it seems like he has the ability to just do anything at any time i mean hell he has jedi mind powers but he only uses on occasion to like trick drunk people into leaving him alone so he doesn't have to murder them (laughs) um that kind of leads nicely into like I guess the the character building part of this, you know, in the combat, obviously the combat is not notorious for being the best considering it's competing on a combat level with games that are far superior to it. But um, what I enjoyed about it was the fact that I could go on these power trips. And like I was telling you, Matt, earlier, I purposely built into an Igni build where like I was pretty much just this giant flamethrower and you know i was having a lot of fun with it because my other two builds were different from those and i played it up for that in fight you know i I wanted it to kind of mean something i didn't want to be all based in like ard or something like that or axie and then you know pull out the flame on Imlareth. like i wanted this Geralt to be like oh yeah yeah i use fire and you know that made that seem way more like i guess uh have much more weight for me as far as my playthrough went on this last one so um did you guys this is probably going to be jack's least favorite thing to think about on this game but did you feel like that the skill building system was too complicated too confusing did it kind of intrigue you a little bit to kind of play with some different stuff and what you wanted to build into like what how did you approach battle i guess I want fire, but you know, I'm I'm thinking that you guys probably took different approaches to it. I'm probably not the first person who should answer this because, uh, yeah, like what you just said. Um, for me, it wasn't that the um, systems were too complex, or um, it, it, that that wasn't what detracted from the experience. It was that the stakes were so low, and what I mean by that is, I felt like I never had any reason to kind of dive into this stuff and it influences like the loot system as well. For me, the loot system I thought was incredibly boring. Um, and yeah, you can, I, you can absolutely say that's on me. I don't like loot systems, but the bottom line is, I mean, I just played Zelda tears of the kingdom. You spent a lot of that game looting, but you get stuff that you feel like is useful and creative and fun. And in this, um, I don't know. Combat just basically for me was basically just mashing uh, the dodge button, sending out a fire thing here and there and using whatever best sword I had on me. Um, You know, I did, I threw some mutagens on, which definitely made my character a lot more powerful as the game went on. 
but it never felt like it was making the difference between um, me being able to progress through a certain boss or anything. I just had my setup and that was it. Um, look, I'll be bitterly honest. Like I, I played this game sandwich between Dark Souls 3, which is just absolutely incredible combat. And Zelda, which while the combat's not incredible, it's really creative and you can do a lot of goofy stuff and um, a lot of experimentation that's not like building RPG type stuff, but rather just like playing around with different systems. Um, so this game, it, it, it kind of got caught between two giants of, of combat for me. And this is what I was talking about in the beginning. It, this, this is just a system that I don't appreciate. Um, I'll be honest, the combat mechanically was better than I expected it to be. Um, I felt like it was fluid. I felt like the actual moment to moment combat was fun. I just never felt like I was like put into a corner where I had to think my way out of it. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Like, honestly, like I, I really enjoy the thing we were talking about, the just love maximizing leveling up a character, finding synergies, like generally in an RPG experience, like I'm all about it. I mean, I'm the one who notoriously used to have my brother go level up my, my Final Fantasy characters in the Brontosaurus Forest by just like constantly going to battle with T-Rexes and Brontosauruses there just so I could keep pumping my characters to take on the last boss. But, um, you know, with that being said, like with this one, because the stakes were low, like you said, Jack, like I never really felt challenged, particularly like you have all these potions and things like the few times I actually used those was like even easier in time. So it was like, so I never used them. And honestly, I didn't even add any trinkets towards the end. Like with when I got my final Witcher armor, because, you know, I'm always, if it's green, I'm going to equip it. You know, <laughs> if it gives me more stats, go cool. But like towards the end, like I didn't even bother with those just because it was actually more cumbersome to go through the menus and make the selections and determine how many I had to spend or whatever. Then it was to just say, fuck it, I'll just take what I have equipped and, and go to town because my stats are, aren't hindering me here. So um, I'll, I'll say the combat. Yeah, I agree. Like it, it, despite my initial fear when the first time he does the pirouette, I actually grew to enjoy it. Like I think it's pretty fluid. And yeah. I really enjoyed it once I learned how to hold down the strong attack and do the chop because it was super fun having that when you, if you equip the um, arch griffin head, which gives you like a 10% to dismember. So uh, I would just basically spend all of combat just trying to chop them in half because that's all you, because if you hit them with this jack, it's like instant kill basically. So that that's pretty much what combat devolved for me into. Something that came to me late, and, and probably because I did very few of the uh, Witcher contracts, is um, that certain monsters did have very specific ways you had to approach them. And um, there was a couple times within the game that I struggled, and I did enjoy kind of the process of figuring out what that was. Once I got over the initial frustration of just thinking that they were impossible to beat, um, kind of finding the counters, the spells that you needed to do was kind of like, oh, that's cool, kind of like puzzle within a within an action game moment so that that was fun dave well cool and you know i appreciate any of your opinions on this this isn't like some sort of uh i'm not here to like you know be a puff piece for witcher 3 i i for for the combat you're right jack and i even mentioned this like there is far superior combat systems out there but i appreciated what witcher had to offer and the fact that 
you know, I could have gone all mind control, which, you know, eventually down the power tree, you can like mind control three of the enemies. So you can kind of turn, you know, groups of people against each other. Or you could do the shield where the shield's so strong that, you know, it could take multiple hits and then it explodes and knocks all your enemies back. Or you could do the push, you know, which is like such a big part of the Witcher, you know, cinema as far as that goes. And, you know, I chose fire and I, you know, I just really kind of appreciated my ability to control like large hordes, you know, which like in my other playthroughs, I had to, I ended up playing it different. So the build before this, I did the poison build where you just like stock up on so many potions and it doesn't hurt you. It just makes you more powerful. So like I'd have eight potions activated, you know, in one decoction. So it's just like, just kind of roided out full of amphetamine, Geralt. I think I got to take this opportunity to mention how insanely hilarious it is when you are like in full roid out mode and you're like pulsing and you go to like a cut scene after the actual mission where you're like having like this emotional conversation and you just look like a fucking alien. Yeah. People are like responding to you like Jennifer's still hitting on you like, oh, you're so sexy. You like look like you freaking like have a tumor growing out of your face. Yeah. You've been awake for like two weeks and you know, like you got most Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That was one of my favorite details. At first I thought it was a glitch and I thought like like I was like, what is wrong with this dude's face? And then finally I was like, Oh, that's what happens when you take too many potions. <laughs> so, you know, but you know, with the fire thing and then, you know, one thing I actually appreciate quite a bit is like the dismemberment that matt was talking about you know where you're trying to cleave people in half but i really enjoyed the ones where you kind of like dance around someone and you know or maybe you just straight cut them in half and i felt like they did a really good job on that and it's if you're gonna have such a weak combat you gotta add something and it was that cinematic feel that you know like i would i would like use my igni to like catch like 10 dudes on fire and they'd be like "Ah," and i'd be able to go in and hack them up and stuff and it felt you know gratifying like i'm saying you know playing Geralt in this game specifically is a power trip you know you're you're always probably going to be ahead of the curve on most of the fights that you're doing and you know if you aren't it's very easy to get ahead of the curve so there are some so some things that i appreciate and as you go through the other dlcs they just keep stacking on that to the point where in blood and wine it just kind of you can be obnoxiously powerful which is fun you know for anyone that appreciates that kind of stuff so um yeah witcher 3 is combat not necessarily known uh as the strong point of the game so i could understand like some you know negative opinions about it which isn't really necessarily negative it's just kind of a state of where it's at um, well like like you said earlier the, the strength of this game is the writing i think it's telling that you started off this pod almost immediately talking about our favorite missions and we rambled on for like almost an hour about our favorite missions because the writing is so brilliant that, you know, you overlook a lot of this stuff that, well, it doesn't suck. It's, it's just kind of lackluster. No, I, I agree completely. The fact that like actually at periods of time I'm playing an action RPG and actually preferring the like Witcher investigation of like tracking a monster and finding all the clues and stuff more than, a big drawn out combat sequence. Like, I I think that's telling of the universe that you occupy in this game. And and it is true. Like I, I, the combat grew on me. I don't think it's the worst one I've ever experienced. And and it's worth noting too. This is like a 
almost a 10 year old game. So it's, yeah. you know, certainly we've Probably experienced fair. some major overhauls in combat with between, you know, God of War and, and you know, Elden Ring and what have you. So uh, a 10 year old open world game too. Yeah. Yeah. And that needs to be said as well. Like when you're dealing with an open world, it also does change uh, the combat experience for sure. So um, yeah, I, I don't think it's, dogpiling out by any stretch i think it's a, just a very fair assessment especially considering that we all play a shit ton of video games yeah and and that's a good point like there's probably a lot of more casual people who just like this genre more that probably think the combat in this is just totally you know is, is good um yeah we're just kind of nerds <laughs> um so the funny thing is while you were touching base on some of the locations and stuff uh I think my favorite parts of the, at least the main game, right? We're not talking DLC is uh, Novigrad and Oxenfurt. Those, those were like the two parts in the game where when I got to them, I was like, it was a second win for me because even though I appreciate the world building and like the day night cycle, I think is really good. And where the game really pops is when it's early in the morning or kind of later at night <clears throat> when you got a lot of crazy colors going on. And, you know, you're maybe on top of a hill or overlooking a cliff or you're next to like some patch of woods. That's all like gorgeous and fine. But I really enjoyed like the density of the cities. Um, I enjoyed seeing different sectors. And I want to point out with Novigrad, like, you know, at the very kind of north end of it, if you're looking at a map is uh, Temple Isle where all these like fanatical religious, you know, people are coming through and, you know, Jack was talking about how the city is under this wave of persecution. If you're, you know, not considered human, you know, this is where all this is stemming from. And you can see like, it's grand, you know, it's, it's got its own place of power right up there. And, you know, it's very fortified and you could tell like, it's a seat of power for the city. And then, you know, just right before that is this uh, area where it's all the wealthy people, you know, the pretentious ones, the ones that, you know, just have a lot of money and that's kind of what they care about. And I don't see that as a coincidence, you know, I kind of see that as like, that's how a lot of things are built around nowadays where you're going to have that prestige and wealth based around that part of the city where like, that's where the power comes from, you know, and you can take a look at many different cities and that's the same way. You know, and then you got the bits where, you know, Trish, you know, Trish is like a lot of her missions kind of come out of that where you got all these like houses that seem like they a second story was added just on a fucking whim. Like, you know, like they just kind of took some ladders and started adding more floors to it. So like some houses are kind of collapsing and that kind of stuff. And you got the fisheries and then you got Glory Lane and then, you know, you got like the, you know, another part that's kind of slightly more poor. So I felt like that was awesome because I'd walk around the corner and then I remember one of the first missions that I usually come across in Novigrad is where this guy is uh, part of the eternal fire and he's talking about um, protecting people and all that kind of stuff and Geralt kind of calls him out and he's like well what was the last person you saved because I saved this person you know from this and you know I don't see you doing all that kind of stuff and calls out and you know really discredits him 
or the fact that um, there's this cool armor in Novigrad who's based off of Hattori Hanzo from like, you know, like film fame and that kind of stuff. And you can do a quest where he gets you a sword and he ends up becoming a character as far as crafting goes, like grand ma- like master equipment. That's the guy you need to unlock. Um, that's where Dijkstra operates out of is the Passiflora and where Reasons of State takes place, where you have that really cool fight where you're fighting, you know, down past that huge bridge that leads you to Temple Isle, you know, where uh, Radovid gets his comeuppance from Philippa. So I just kind of feel like that there was a lot of life and a lot more character. I felt like the building designs are awesome. And I also appreciated Oxenfurt because Oxenfurt feels like an extension of that, you know, but slightly different. It's got a college town kind of feel to it. You know, it's where Radovid you know, makes his home base and that kind of stuff and that whole area is surrounded by woods. So I, I just felt like it reflected a lot. It has serial killers. It's got crime lords. It's got religious fanatics. It's got magic users and all this different politics and society coming in. So as gorgeous as I thought a lot of the landscape was within Velen and Skellige, particularly Skellige, I felt like had some really great grand vistas and that kind of stuff where you're like, oh, wow, this is just a cool well-designed land i felt like that the heart of the game really kind of like ends up in the cities you know so and kind of takes Geralt to that second level where you didn't feel like he kind of woke up as a character until he started getting into politics where it showed that he had this huge influence on this whole area because of who he is so i i, I guess that's my counterpoint to why maybe novigrad and oxford might be shitty to you guys but um yeah. Dave, I, I love all these details you're showing, like, because that's how I felt about the game, too. But your passion for this game, which I mean, this is one of your favorite games, it really kind of comes through. And, um, you know, if if there's any one of us who should be trying to, like, tell somebody who's into these kind of games to play it, it's you. Because me and Matt, like, this isn't really our jam, you know, like, we're along for the ride. We're experiencing something. We love video games. So we're experiencing something that's kind of outside of our, our norm because of the respect we feel for what, what this game delivers. But for you, this is your genre. And so you are definitely the one who can kind of speak about it eloquently as you just did. And, um, one of the huge strengths of this game is everything you were just saying, like these little details that make this world, you specifically were calling out the cities. But I'll, I'll expand it. Like this whole world feels so lived in. And it was something that, uh, it was, it was one of the, fi- my favorite things about the game is, is just how much life that I felt like this world was. And it really kind of surprised me because it is a 10 year old game and it is so expansive. There is so much land to cover. And the fact that you can go to so many different places in this world and like, like you brought up all these like, little minutiae details about like buildings and, and all the different, but the side characters are just, there's so many just random people you talk to in this game that in any other game, I, I shouldn't say any other game, but in 99% of other games, just give you a one liner and you're on your way. They kind of pull you into like their own story. And it's one of the things that while Geralt didn't pull me in for the first two thirds of the story, it's just like, he's like the sun and there's just, thousands of planets and moons orbiting him and they all have like a story to tell. And um, that's, that's why I get, and that's why seven, eight years ago, I told you like, Dave, you got to check this, this game out. I think you'll really like it. And um, I don't know, you're, you're kind of, like I said, your passion for it just kind of shown through as you kind of just broke down 
in a way I could not have. What makes this game so special? Yeah, no, I, I think you're spot on, Dave. Like I said, for me, I didn't enjoy Novigrad, but if I would enjoy Novigrad if there were more of those signposts scattered throughout so I didn't have to run through the goddamn thing every time. True. I to see said Grandmaster Sword Give guy. Give me like 10 more fucking waypoints in every city. Seriously. <laughs> like, if they had a few more waypoints, I would actually probably share all of your appreciation for the landscape because you're right, Jack. Uh, like, I love the character of the world in this game. Like, it cracks me up running by, like, people in the like field or whatever and you'll just hear some guy hawk up a loogie or whatever (laughs) you hear somebody coughing because they have the plague or you just like all these like awful sounds all the different conversations are going on in the background like it's an awesome like for especially for how old this game is yeah it blows my mind about how detailed the world is and you know honestly the biggest compliment i can give this game it is truthfully that like I feel like this is the experience that other people got with Skyrim because I didn't enjoy Skyrim all that much I know Dave it's another one that he was a huge fan of you know so I won't talk shit about but for me it was just like I played through it I did a bunch of stuff and just kind of left it feeling kind of like eh it's not really my thing but with this because of all those elements like you're talking about jack like with all these npcs that actually add meaning to it and all these cool like creative little side things and all it this feels like i got that experience finally of being like okay this is why people dig these like medieval type of worlds and video open world video games so uh it, it was cool to gain a slight appreciation for that because it's usually not a genre i gravitate towards at all and Go ahead, Jack. My I was apologies. just going to say, Dave brought up his favorite area. Do you, did, I was just curious if Matt, I, I have one, but Matt, do you have one? I, I'm torn because I've dabbled with the DLCs and that's going to sway mm-hmm. some of my opinion now because I, I have to say without diving into it, but a lot of blood and wine like blows me away. Like I just really, really like that apart. But um for me, I, I think aside from the boat missions, which by the way just gave me the worst God of War PTSD, but um, but aside from being in the boats in Skellige, I, I just thought the landscapes and the cliffs and everything was just gorgeous, and I, I just thought it was such a cool contrast to coming from like the very like uh, classic old English like world you're in in Velen and Novigrad and what have you. And then to go over to Skellige and just have it be like, oh, this is this is a much different area, despite being so close. So yeah, those, those one that area was probably in the main campaign my favorite. Well, I basically just use this to segue into one of my favorite missions, which I didn't get to mention earlier. But um, I love the mission where you go through like the different universes, um, through space and time. Yeah, through space and time. Uh, this game doesn't really do anything else like that. It's kind of out of left field, but just coming off those, uh, the trifecta of missions Dave mentioned earlier, I don't know if it's right after that, but it's within that kind of same vicinity after, uh, after you kill, um, the first, uh, Elven Lord or whatever. And, uh, basically. <laughs> Imlareth. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really tuned. <laughs> but uh, but the one dude just taking it takes you through. Uh, basically, you have to go track down the dude, and you end up going through. I think it's a water world. Um, just these beautiful plant worlds. But my favorite was just like the desolate wasteland that was the uh the snow world, because as you're going through there, I felt like a real sense of like uh suspense as I was trying to make it from building to building. And it was heightened by the fact that you're reading these journals of the people who obviously met their death to this extreme wasteland, but they don't know it. And as they're writing, they're still kind of hopeful and they're still kind of like, there's, there's still a glimmer there. And I, I don't know. I just thought it was really amazing writing and I loved how different it felt from anything else in the game. And, um, I don't know. It was just kind of a, a, a moment of spectacle, uh, that, that I really appreciated, uh, I definitely appreciated that one, especially, um, you know, as uh, having played through Frostpunk as well. It kind mm, of yeah. gave me kind of those glimmers of like just how cool of a world that world building experience that one was. But this one, you're right. Like I, I didn't read most of the stuff in this game, but but I did check out a few of those journals in that mission in particular. And it was just so sad, like just that concept of like, you know, we, we all kind of go about our day to day, but then just imagining it's like, oh my gosh, like this isn't ending. Like, what are we to yeah. do here? Like, cause that's just kind of the sense. It's like one day you wake up and it starts snowing and it's not stopping and, and nobody knows what's happening, but it's going to keep going on. I mean, I think it's aided too by uh, the world prior to that too. When you see the one that used to be the ba- massive ocean planet that they had like utilized every single piece of like, material on it to where it's just a desolate big old desert you know with nothing but like land crabs in it so uh that was just such a cool contrast kind of seeing the both where it's like all these kind of dead worlds and and yeah i I agree those those ones actually were pretty cool for despite just being kind of like a little small part of a mission that eventually leads you up to the grand finale um so I don't want to drag this on too long, but I kind of, in a text, shot you guys some specific questions uh, geared towards you. Um, I don't know if someone wants to go first or I can read them off, but basically my, my question for Matt, and I'll also label Jack. So um, Matt, is Witcher 3 better or as good as some of the best RPGs across all regions and you know i guess i want to say time like i'm not asking you to place this on a pantheon or not but you know you've had experience playing rpgs probably most of them japanese um so kind of want you to think about that and then jack for a game outside your preferred genre what helped push you through and would you ever play another rpg like witcher 3 again if it received the same level of praise because you know this was a game that you initially picked up because of the praise, you know, it got so much that you're like, okay, I'll check it out. And then it wasn't for you. And then you, I kind of put you in a position to pick it up again. So um, I don't, I don't know if someone Jack's kind of answered some of this question throughout the podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think if you've been listening to me talk about the pros and cons of how I feel about this game, I think you have a pretty good idea of, of why I was able to push through. Um, so I, I don't think I need to go over any of that stuff again. Um, would I do it again? Um, I think, I think I would take a flyer on it. You know, I'm always kind of curious, um, what 10, 15 years can do to a genre, what 
you know, uh, how, I mean, even the games I was playing, I've played so many narrative focused games this year, uh, nothing this extensive outside of Witcher 3. But I mean, tastes are always changing and it's always kind of fun to like touch base on this stuff. So yeah, I mean, if I could get a free, really well received uh, narrative RPG, um, I would give it a shot and I'd probably ditch it after 10, 15 hours. Um, so to my question, um, obviously, you know, I, I've had some experience with RPGs, definitely fallen off, but definitely grew up loving the genre. Um, I, I would say I, I mentioned it earlier, Dave, I don't know if you caught it, but this to me, uh, gave me, I feel like the feeling that folks who really got into Skyrim, this, this game gave me that, like, like I actually experienced this world and like actually, really got kind of immersed and enjoyed kind of exploring mainly because I wanted to just see what was out there in it. And, you know, so much thought got went into that. So I have to give it credit. And I think the big part of your question is the reminder that this is at its heart, an RPG, because what we've been doing over the course of so much of this conversation is comparing it to as a more of an action title, because it is an action RPG. But when you, you can't compare it directly as much to some of these more cinematic like action games exist because at its heart, this really is just the classic RPG where you level up your character until he's so powerful that you can take on whatever, you know, big bad is at the end of the tale. So in that sense, as an RPG, it's absolutely excellent. Um, You know, I think because it's the action element forces me to compare it to games like God of War and stuff like that. It gets a little dicey, but you know, it's really is like, honestly, like in terms of an action title, very, very great. And as an RPG, it's top notch to me. So Dave, why did you pick this one? I have to ask. I know it's your favorite game, but like you knew that we were going to give you a bunch of shit about it. And you knew that like it was going to be one of those that there was a very high likelihood we would jump off. Like what gave you the confidence that we were going to see this one through aside from, you know, the fact that we are your dear friends and, you know, want to make you happy. For you, Matt, I kind of felt like that you would appreciate it, you know, once you got into it. Um, despite its flaws, I think that a lot of the positives would outshine it. And I think that like the RPG aspects of it are what carries it through most of it. The quest, the stories, the fact that it's so well written. Uh, for Jack, uh, kind of like pushed on that fact a lot more harder because I know this <laughs> is like, really outside of his comfort wheel, you know, and. You know, it, it sounded like a very small part of Jack did want to kind of check out to see what was so good about it, even if it was like True. really buried in there. Like, and you know, he like learned to appreciate some stuff about it. So that, that was really the trigger. And I just wanted to appreciate the game again under some better graphics, uh, faster load times. That was another yeah. reason why I felt a little bit more comfortable is because I knew the game would be a bit more polished up than it was in its uh, PS3 form, which is insane because like the Ultimate Edition came out on PS4 and then um, on PS5 was this remastered edition. But also, uh, it's 
the PS4's ungodly load times were disconnected from this, so I felt like that kind of made it more credible. And if I had forced you guys while we're on the PS4, I'm pretty sure that, you know, this is a game, Jack, that you would have shut down after, like, 30 hours. You know, you'd have given it its time. But, and I, you know, I don't think I would have offered it as an option like I initially did um, mm-hmm. because I had played it, you know, on the PS3. Uh, but but I was definitely intrigued by the visuals. And, and this this is a, a gorgeous game considering it's open world and um, some of the lighting effects, some of the colors they use, particularly like during sunsets, is, is really kind of stunning. And then also... I kind of wanted to open myself up to that same scenario from you guys where I wanted to kind of say, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to put this game onto you guys. So I'm also willing to reciprocate that, you know, where Jack, if you were to, or Matt, where you choose something that was outside of my wheelhouse, like I'm going to respect that. And, like inscription um, <laughs> or cuphead I, well yeah yeah i liked inscription <laughs> because you know it's got that slay the spire aspect to it and then it gets even crazier after that and that's what i really enjoyed about it and um the characters and we could talk inscription for another podcast but um uh yeah like cuphead would be an example where i definitely would have to like really focus in on the things that I appreciated about it, which I think kind of strengthens us as a podcast, you know, it's like we can always play the games that we're going to be comfortable and share that and kind of, you know, keep delving into the stuff that we enjoy about video games and expressing that, which is awesome. And I love that about this podcast, but also it might help that we do kind of get outside of our comfort zone. So that was, you know, probably the main three reasons why I was like, okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on this eight, nine-year-old game that, you know, is coming from a company that's been pretty shady lately and doing something even more questionable, in my opinion. (laughs) And we'll save that for down the road. But, you know, it's like, okay, cool. They're they're throwing us a freebie here. And, you know, I'm going to take it up because I know this game is quality. You know, I, I, there's, there's a reason I didn't push Cyberpunk 2770. You know, it's or 2077 on us is because, you know, it's like Matt's played it, you know, already for one, but it's just not a quality game. It's not something where I'm going to feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, despite all this, you should really look at these moments that shine, you know, these things that really kind of make it a great game. And, you know, it's got 260 like Game of the Year awards for a reason. So. I was going to say, I, I appreciate you forcing us to play this one, Dave, just largely, you know, outside all the, the other positive things we've talked about, but um, also just the fact that, like, I, I do feel like we, at least in my case, I'd be doing myself a disservice being a fan of video games and not having played this title based on how well-regarded it is historically. Like, it kind of puts me in a position where it's like, well you know, yeah, you played X, you know, these are all amazing titles, but for whatever reason, you're ignoring this one, even though like people still enjoy it to this day, you know, even though it's eight years old, nine years old, however. So, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm glad to be able to say that I've experienced it now and, you know, even more glad to say that I enjoyed the process for the most part. 
Well, gentlemen, I think we're reaching the point where since we, all three of us have played it, we have to give it a rating. Dave, I think I know where you go, but out of a scale of one to ten, how would you rank Witcher 3 PS5 I'd, edition? Probably a 9-8. Nine, 9-8? Eight. Nine, eight? Yeah. Honestly, point two plus than I was expecting. I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious. So this, Dave, this is one of your favorite games of all time. Just what, what keeps it out of 10? Well, yeah. What, like who, who are you, what are you trying to prove? Well, I mean, okay. I guess a 10 is monster hunter world for me, you know, where I feel like, um, there's... Do you only get one 10, like throughout <clears throat> your history of video gaming? <laughs> well, no. Okay. So, you know, there's things about you know, Witcher 3, like, because I have played Elden Ring and I've played, you know, Dark Souls 3 and I've played Monster Hunter World is that the combat is just, it, it's not the, whenever I get into combat in those games, like, I'm excited, you know, it's like, when am I going to pull off or, you know, like, how good am I going to be at pattern recognition? And that's not what's your strength. It's all in its story. It's all in its character building. Uh, I skipped voice acting because I feel like time's running out for us and, you know, I love Doug Cockles, The Witcher, you know, as Geralt. Like, I feel like that's a voice that they're going to have to, if they're going to replace him or if he, you know, ends up leaving this role for some reason, like, they're going to have to find someone that does as good a job. And I kind of made a joke about that, you know, before we started this was like, hey, do you guys, you know, Dave, do you have anything you require of us? And I made a joke of wearing a white wig and then speaking like we've, done nothing but drink whiskey and smoke cigarettes our whole life you know and that's what witcher sounds like you know that's what Geralt sounds like but um yeah like it's just it's just one of those things where like the combat kind of just knocked it down just enough to not be as good as like or an enjoyable experience for me as monster hunter world is you know which is a 10 you know so everybody gets their own rating system and uh, I'm I, I, if I were doing Dave's rating system, <coughs> uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom would be a 9.7. Um, <laughs> I like to round up for games that I think are like the pinnacle of what they do. Um, so that's typically where I go. But I also rate games not based on objective, but based on purely how I felt about it. So why objectively, I feel like this is an incredible game that... Um, can't really be rivaled in many aspects this is my rating and i give it an eight out of ten uh through no fault of its own there are systems in place i just don't dig and um it kept it from being like just one of those incredibly enjoyable experiences for me i feel like had i played this game when it came out it would be a nine uh, because I'm playing it in present day, um, I'm leaning more 8.5, 8.7 on the Dave scale. Um, I enjoy quite a lot about this game, but <laughs> it definitely drags towards the end for me. Um, because as, as much as I enjoyed a lot of the side characters and as much as I enjoyed some of that, I also feel like it gets stretched out so much towards the end where it reaches a point where it's like, it's got to come to an end eventually. And I appreciate that. I really do. I, I think one of the coolest things about the Witcher three is that it is kind of like for folks who can't afford a lot of video games, it, this is like one of your best picks you can make because there's so much you're going to get out of it for just, you know, one experience plus all the free stuff they gave you. 
uh, you know, a while back. So I, I praise them in that regard. But for me, like, it definitely, like, has moments where it just drags on, particularly the cinematics, which, again, I feel like back when this game came out, that was all the rage and that was really cool. But now I'm at a place where a lot of that stuff I want to kind of breeze through and and it's really not uh, as conducive to it in this one. You either get to skip the whole thing or or you like can catch bits of it. Like I, I wish there was a way to kind of fast forward through it. And I think it would maybe enjoy a lot more. Matt, I think it's so funny that you thought the end dragged out when for me, that was when I felt like it really, I felt like it was just treading along at such a great pace outside of one very frustrating dwarf who did not want to follow me. Um, but I, I wonder if you're almost just kind of burnt out at this point. I, I, I thought about when I started this game, like two weeks after you, Matt, and when I finished it like six weeks ago and had two amazing video game experiences and why you continued to go check out question marks on this map and check out every little detail, every little, every little, I, I started laughing, um, and like I thought about it and I was like, Matt, you just play open world games so much differently than I do. And and the best the best metaphor I could give was was a rib. Was a was a was eating a rib. And there's some people who they get every single piece of that rib. It is picked clean when it's done. And even like the stuff that gets stuck in your teeth, you know, like the texture's not good on some of it. You gotta get like those pieces of fat that don't taste very good. But some people, they just got to do it. They got to get every last bite. And me, I'm more of like, a, you know, I'll, I'll get down on a rib. But the nasty parts, I, I'm good. I don't want any part of that, you know. I don't need that. And uh, I thought that was uh, the best the best comparison I could com- give for the different ways me and you approach open world games. And that you just got to get every little nitty-gritty piece. And even if it detracts from the experience for you, because that that is your prerogative. Whereas me, I, I'm just taking a big piece of that meat and, and then getting on to that next one. That's such a perfect comparison. And I love the fact because I still get to leave this comparison and buy, leave it with judgment towards you, Jack, because I'm forever going to now you look at you as the bastard that leaves meat on the rim. <laughs> so <laughs> is that I shake my head and just say, what a shame. How that's my follow up question. When you eat ribs, are they picked completely clean? It, it varies. It depends how well they're cooked. That, oh, okay. It. Well, that, well that, that makes sense. Witcher, Witcher 3 cooked very to perfection. So, uh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to take every last bit. And, and you know, I, I should say it's not so much the end. It's because part of that, too, is motivated by the fact that it's been a race to me trying to complete it before we got together today and, and getting very, mm. very close. I mean, I'm literally at the, the end sequence, but, um, but also some of it, too, is because towards the end, like, they do a lot of it where they introduce all these characters, some of which, like, aren't really a part of the main campaign all that much. And all of a sudden, you really have to give a shit about them and their contributions to this world. That's the part where it's like they kind of drag it out because because they're introducing these characters so late that you really have no interaction with. And, and again, if you played the previous titles or read the books, you're probably super jacked to see them. But for me, it's like who the hell is this person? And I'm not going to read the codex to tell me like their backstory. So instead they're just going to give me like a five minute long video of them talking in a cave or whatever to explain what their significance is to this grandiose plot to save the world. So that's the kind of stuff that for me, it was just kind of like, and and again, I think that 
goes to what you were joking about, Jack, is that like the fact that I knocked off all the side quests, there are much more direct quit things are a lot more straightforward and getting into this, which is more of the story oriented. It, it is just kind of like this grinding, like, Oh God, I, I, I'm ready. So I have nothing but respect for this title. Super glad I played it and very good chance it's in my uh, top five for uh, best game I've played this year personally. So um, thank you, so Dave. Far. So far. <laughs> so, yeah. Lots of games um, to go. Uh, you know, Resident Evil 4 beckons, but, you know, at the same time, um, like I said, I've, I have nothing but positive things to say about this one. I'm really, really glad to get the experience, even though it did suck 200 hours out of my life. Well, um, on that note, I would like a podcast for the DLCs. Uh, Hearts of Stone and Blood and Lion are kind of their own, like, beast. Uh, Matt, you played through Hearts of Stone, and I don't think we got time to really delve into that, but I would like, I believe you're going to play through Blood and Wine, so I'd like to package that up, and I know this is where we're going to leave Jack. You know, he did his due diligence with the I, main game, and, you know, I'm not expecting mention. you to play any of that, but I would like to to finish that up because Blood and Wine has a it has an ending that I think really just ties up the whole thing very well, and it's like a very quick moment at the end, but it's super important to the weight of this game, but sorry, Jeff. Oh, uh, sorry to interrupt. I, I may check out Hearts of Stone. It, it's definitely kind of on the radar, but there's plenty more we can talk about this game. Uh, you know, we just talked for two hours. The word Gwent did not come up once, <laughs> which I think is hilarious because I know Matt, I know me, uh, Dave, you know, on easy mode to a lesser extent, <laughs> you've experienced some Gwent. So I just think there's, uh, as, as we were just talking about, there is more meat on this bone. And um, while I may not be able to contribute quite as much into our DLC conversation that we'll have in the future, there's definitely still some uh, some talking points that I would like to bring up about this game. Because, I mean, how do you squeeze 70 hours of incredibly varied gameplay and story into a two-hour pod? I don't think you can. So uh, we'll have another, hopefully we'll have another opportunity to do so when you guys focus on the DLCs and uh, I bring up some points about Gwen. <laughs> no, that'd say, be awesome. Suck actually. the fat Jack, suck the fat <laughs> off the bone. <laughs> no, that that's actually a very dope idea. And I'm glad you came up with that because that that'd be a great way to include you is like Gwent is not my favorite part of this game where I think you two appreciate it a lot more than I did. And I really love the DLCs. So uh, yeah, hopefully soonish. Yeah. Gwent's like a 9.7 for sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> Under Plumber Scale, uh, Slay the Spire is a 9.9 for me. So, uh, <laughs> even though it's, you know, my second favorite game of the last 10 years. <laughs> I don't like the sound effects at this particular end. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta knock it down a peg. They really, they really didn't nail the story aspect of Slay the Spire. You know, should have been. I have a 10. It's Monster Hunter World and Iceborne. You guys I just think it. it's funny that, um, a game that you love so much does everything perfect of, of what you love about it. But you, you take points away for the things that it's not that, that is not like the idea to excel at. I, I just think that's very interesting that that's your, uh, that that's your grading system. I don't know. Nine, eight is still really good. Like, yeah, yeah. Almost. It, you it's know, because he so. got the, the, Easter egg ending where both Triss and, and Jennifer no. No, chained him to the bed and left no. him. He was, felt robbed at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so close, Dave. 
No, no. I'm Team Yennefer, man. Captain. Always uh, will be. Brunettes. Bitchy brunettes. My weakness. Actual uh, personalities. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, boy, that wraps it up here, boys, because we're certainly going to have to come back to this one. And Jack and I will have to debate whether or not Dave gets a selection next year because he's just going to get more of our time <laughs> with The Witcher 3. I think, I think the DLCs count as a second selection. If you guys would have thrown that asterisk in when I made my choice, I, I would have made a different choice. Um, you're like that it's like that classic trope of like the inmate who's supposed to get like his last meal or whatever and so he picks like you know (laughs) just like the old country buffet just never-ending feast of just it's like you bastard this is a courtesy it's not supposed to it's not supposed to occupy the next six months um all right i I need a half plan for you guys dave for your selection but Matt, come on! Every single goddamn question mark. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> I was ready to talk about this game two months ago on this pod. But there might be <laughs> treasure. Matt wandering around the <laughs> undiscovered <laughs> treasure. Matt's <laughs> wandering around the ocean. <laughs> well, they should have put it on the map. Then. <laughs> Even I ignored that shit. Holy crap! And I got a hundred percent. Yeah, um, you never I, know. There might be a sword that gives me even more green points. So, you know. And I just I want to mention oh, was there? <laughs> while no, we have laughs no. going on is speaking of Trace, I remember Matt and I talking and one of the better moments I had with him playing through this game was um, he did a mission with Trish and he turns her down and he's walking away and an NPC walks up to him and goes, you're an asshole. <laughs> Which prompted Matt to Reload the old save and go through and not treat Trish so coldly. <laughs> that was Deekstra. How, how are we gonna? So, Dave, you ended up with Jennifer. I did as well. But Matt, who'd you end up with? Same, same. Okay, uh, that the genie quest. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely was like pretty much pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So uh, outside of that, yeah, I, I could have cared less, honestly. Like, but. That part was like, okay, th- this makes up for all the rampant sexism that's so prevalent throughout the rest of the time. Does it? Does it though? No, it absolutely <laughs> does. I don't know how you played this game with two little girls in your house. Jack. I was more worried about the heads chopping off and them reporting to me to mom. <laughs> well, after Silvery 2, I'm sure that's not going to concern them too much. <laughs> I was the offended one with Shivery yeah. too. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you know, that's that's like just one very large part of Witcher 3 covered. Hopefully we'll have another cast discussing the other parts of it um soonish. But I want to thank you all for uh sitting through with this and playing this game out. Fantastic. Even if that robs me of next year's selection, I'm glad I did it. So with that, um, I'll let Matt do the final goodbyes. I'm horrible at this. No, you were doing excellent. I was just going to say, it's been Couch Co-op Video Game Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Take care. Ciao. The wind's howling.
Pam Paran. Pam Pam Paran. <laughs> 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 